Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Austin Smith, joined as always by your other co-host, John Kirby. You can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. And as always, follow the mothership at The Only Colors. Today is Tuesday, January 25th. And John, I, I really feel, I know we're starting with NFL here, but like, I woke up today with a pit in my stomach oh. for the Buffalo Bills fans. Oh yeah. They like are that, tough, man. They are our uh Detroit Lion brethren, you know. That that was so tough. it's it's the expectations thing that we always talk about where like the Lions you don't expect to do anything. So when they lose, it's like not the end of the world. But the Bills, like you have expectations, you're performing so well, and then you still just get your throat stepped on in the last 13 seconds by Patrick Mahomes. It's just like, oh man, what a what a gut punch that must have been. Um, but I gotta say, man, it is sometimes it blows my mind to think about how different the sport, like you even think about it when you see Alabama play sometimes, you're like, they are playing a different sport than everybody else. Yes. That is so like distilled down even further when you get to the NFL, because that game was just an insane display of quarterbacking talent. All, all four games with the exception of, I guess the green Bay and San Francisco was not a quarterback. (laughs) No masterpiece but yeah it was uh, it is you're right it's night and day and it just reminds me of when nba twitter like tunes into march madness and every year they're like this is ass (laughs) why do you guys like this and it's like it's fun because it's bad is our only (laughs) you just have to enjoy the fact that it's bad that's the fun part and everyone in the nba twitter is like okay well that's a waste of time that, that seems you know what i it's 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 beauty is in the eye of the beholder in that example more than more than any other yeah I, it's fun because it's bad is such a good way to explain just watching college athletics over it professionals is. um but the one thing that blew my mind this weekend as well was if you look at the quarterbacks of these eight teams that were left and where they went to school shows mm-hmm. me that scouting mm-hmm. is like almost an impossible job and scouts are like really good you and i were talking about it before we came on here that like probably 70 percent of five-star recruits out of high school end up playing in the nfl which is an insane hit rate right. but then if you look at where these quarterbacks came from it, no. it for the most part it's insane i mean if you go game by game you had what Ryan Tannehill and Joe Burrow, honestly, those are probably the two most accurately drafted mm-hmm. quarterbacks to their spot. Um, but you know, you had a converted wide receiver from Texas A&M and a kid who had to transfer from Ohio state to find playing time playing against each other. Right. And then Brady, obviously the best to ever do it, but six round pick out of Michigan had to compete against a washed up third baseman just to play. And then, then you had Stafford. Stafford's probably the, the main exception yeah. where he's like the number one pick performing up to his expectations, et cetera. But then like, you know, Rogers even slipped in the first round. Jimmy Garoppolo is from Eastern Illinois. Rogers went to Cal, like not powerhouses. Josh Allen's from Wyoming. Patrick yeah. Mahomes went to Texas Tech. So I guess it's really the point is more about where these guys came from, not necessarily where they were drafted, but like not exactly with the exception of Georgia. And I suppose Michigan sort of, it's like not exactly like these guys had to 
you know, they couldn't just walk into any room in America and be like, well, this guy's going to be great. They had to overturn some serious rocks to find some of these quarterbacks. It's just wild to me. Yeah, Stafford, I I mean, I'm sure I'll get uh, fact check on this. I, he's probably the only five-star quarterback out there from high school. And, and I mean, the hit rate on everything else, yeah. quarterback is the toughest one, which is weird because it's like the most scrutinized position. You'd think people would be even better at evaluating it. Just so hard. Um, That's a great point. I didn't even think about that with uh, with Stafford probably being the only five star one out of eight. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just just crazy. Pretty wild. <laughs> um, so a couple Spartans played in the this weekend, though. Nate Several. You know, you know what I was thinking about? I think I tweeted about this. Naquan Jones starting for the number one seed in in the AFC. And I mean, not because of injury, like he earned the spot. And if I'm the own, an owner of one of the other 31 teams, I need to talk to my GM and be like, what's our evaluation process? Like how on earth is there an undrafted free agent starting for the best team uh, in the AFC. Like, where did we mess up? And it's like, like, because we, we got to get better at evaluating if we're, because, <laughs> because what you cut like three draft picks a year, guys that you pick, yeah. you draft. And so like, I was just, <clears throat> how does that happen? You know? Well, I mean, I'd talk to my own GM. I'd be like, hey, way to find this guy that didn't get drafted, but why didn't we draft him? Yeah, why didn't we draft him? <laughs> we had seven shots at this guy, and we just decided not to take him. Right. But he's, it's an amazing story. I mean, it's like chalk another one up for the, you know, the the ghost of Mark D'Antonio's uh, uh, roster's past. I mean, this guy was an, uh, looks like he's going to play in the NFL for a long time. Like you said, starter on a, a great defense. That defense is not the reason why the uh, – the, uh, the Titans lost that game. They were all over Joe Burrow and Naquan Jones was in on a ton of those plays. So it's freaking awesome to see him uh, living up to like, I mean, he was a four-star recruit. He's living up to his recruiting hype now. So that's, that was, uh, that was very cool to see. Will Golston looking as enormous as ever ended up playing for the, the Bucks this weekend. I'm trying to think. I know there were a couple others in there too, but those are probably the, the big highlights, but. Paper Pepper. Oh Yeah. That's right. MSU legend Tabor Pepper with the uh, snap to send Green Bay to the NFC championship game in tough conditions, uh, I might add. And then he went and retrieved the the ball for Robbie Gold right after. Heads up, kid. We love this. Really heads up. It's so random. Some of the Michigan State players that end up playing in the NFL. It seems to be 49ers. Like, because I remember Garrett Garrett Selleck played for the Niners for like, eight years he was i don't think he was ever a starter at michigan state never if he was, it was not for a long time i know so odd it's just how it uh, out. well here's a transition for you john okay from one guy who was never a starter at michigan state to another guy who will never be a starter at michigan state huh? uh the transfer portal has i think really in earnest for the first time come back to sort of get michigan state um as I'm sure we're becoming more of a recruiting podcast because we're just forced into it by Mel Tucker's genius. But uh, Ma Gaioteote, the number one recruit in Michigan State's 2021 class, uh, Mel Tucker's first real complete class linebacker who played in four or five games this year, uh, entered the transfer portal uh, and is going to be looking for somewhere else to continue his collegiate career. First of all, hey, no hard feelings. I think that's another thing we should adapt or adopt, John, formally, just like we do when guys leave for the NFL. Hey, no hard feelings. Go get money. Ma, yeah. no hard feelings, man. Go get your playing time. If you didn't yeah. think you could be here, by all means, go go do what's what's best for you. Um, but I think this is a, it's, this is an interesting one because to this point, most of the uh, guys who have left, you know, no one who really was. I, th- I think maybe with the exception of Devontae Dobbs and Barnett right off the bat, those two were kind of shocking to, to Michigan State, but to, to fans, although now we see neither of them really playing for Memphis. So should we have been shocked? I think it was kind of the, the culture shock aspect of it as much as anything else. Mm-hmm. But um, Ma is a, a one that I think comes as the first kind of like, oh, wow, that's that's a good player. That's a guy we thought who could crack the depth chart here in the near term that's leaving. Um, so I think – Dealing with that is 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 really interesting, John. Do you have any any thoughts on it? 
it's just the first time that Mel is going to have um, ammunition against him when he's on the recruiting trail. You know, where, where guys that he is recruiting uh, against will be able to say, you know, Mel may get you, but he's going to go find guys in the transfer portal that are going to start in front of you. You might never see the field. And while I think that's true at a lot of places, this is just the first time that Mel will have to address that. So interested to see. How. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, you know, it, 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 it's to clarify your point. This is happening almost in direct tie in in all likelihood because Jacoby because of the recruitment of Jacoby women from UNLV um, and with what appears to be Covaris Crouch getting healthy and, and probably staying for another year in East Lansing. Um, also the recruitment of Aaron Brule, although he plays more of an edge position, it's just, it got to be a little bit more of a, a crowded room. Um, and I think my, wants to, wants to go play. Can't blame him for that. Um, but you know, it, y- your point about that being used against, um, Mel is a really interesting one. Uh, because I think luckily for Michigan state fans, I think he'll be able to say, well, this is, this is how business is done. It's, it's, um, earn your way to play, earn your way to stay type of thing. There's a much more elegant phrase he used and I can't remember it, but basically you got, you got to compete to keep your, to keep your spot on the roster and bringing in Winman, um, you know, I think from a Michigan state perspective is good business because essentially what the way you're looking at it from a coaching perspective and from a person who has to build the roster perspective is, you know, you're trading in what should be two years of something that you know is a proven quantity. It's an Apple stock. Interesting time to bring up stocks given what the market's doing, but um, you're buying Apple when you're bringing him in. Now you might have another hotshot young company behind you. That's like a guy out Teote that's three years that could end up being as good or better, but you're taking the sure thing by bringing in the, the veteran, the guy who's produced at a really high level and who, you know, you just think is a little bit more of a sure thing. So I think that's probably the approach. And then, you know, again, just to get back to Tucker on the trail, he's going to say, look at Alabama. Look at what Alabama does. Alabama just look at LSU. These guys bring in tons. Now that Mel Tucker kind of greased the skids for the portal. If you look at what's going on in the SEC, it's insane. These guys are not just bringing in players. They're bringing in former top 50 recruits from direct competitors. I saw a wide receiver transferred Isaac Isaac Burton, something Burton from Georgia was their number two receiver this past year, transferred to Alabama this past weekend. So nothing's off. Nothing is out of bounds here. So while teams could use that against you in all likelihood, it's not going to be one of these other big boy teams that's saying that because they they all kind of participate in this same uh, same thing. And ultimately, it's up to the player. So I, I it's a bummer because I was excited to get him. He did a lot. He was kind of like the first landmark land for Tucker. But, um, you know, if, if, if he sees this to be the best route for him, I I can certainly understand it. Exactly. So, you know, the first one, um, I don't know how many more we'll see, uh, but hopefully not a trend. Right. (laughs) Yes. And you start to think that as he starts to build out this depth chart, you know, that there's going to be less, I think, overall people transferring, you know, as as the depth chart starts to settle out in the sense that um, who who will be on track to start or play in however many years will become clearer. Uh, but he may also continue to bring in talent, you know, to challenge like, and, and there's the other side of it. Brings in talent doesn't mean you're going to play. Anthony Russo didn't, didn't break point brought in, didn't get the job. Nothing's guaranteed for anybody. Right. So um, I think it's just, you're, it's the, it's just the new world. And, and people need to, I guess, just strap in and I guess transfers, in general, just I feel like they have a weird um, connotation to them. Like, I don't know if you remember, like even last year in people's articles writing about Michigan State would continually label Kenneth Walker as a transfer, as if yeah. that was like a negative or like some sort of label. And I'm not sure really what the purpose was of it. Um it, it, it was odd to me. I think that starts to go away very soon. 
you know, it's just, I think it's, I think it's gone. I think it's gotta be gone now with, with how much more high speed this portal has become. And the fact that it's the big, big dogs that are like getting really active in it now. Um, I think it's probably a stigma really is more than anything else. Like, Oh, you had to transfer to find time. It's like, well, guys transfer all the time. Now it's literally like thousands of dudes are over a thousand guys are in the transfer portal. I think only half of them have found spots so far and there's plenty of others that I'm sure will enter and leave and et cetera. But um, yeah, I, I think what Michigan state proved last year, they were really the canary in the coal mine for building a lot of your important parts of your, uh, you know, team off of new ads. And I think people saw what they did successfully and, and, you know, both players and coaches alike probably said, Oh, I can enter the portal and go somewhere and be really successful on a good team quickly and it can work well and then coaches saw oh i can build out some important parts of my team through the portal and have it work really well and so now i think people are being a little bolder with it and and that stigma of of transfers is gonna kind of kind of go by the wayside i think i will say one thing about about it i love the transfer portal it's my second favorite second favorite team but I do think there need to be some regulations that get put in place. Now, whether that's like a time frame, like a same thing with you know high school recruiting, where it's you have to commit by X date, or you know you can only enter during certain periods of the year, uh, like maybe after your team's sixth game or something, like or for your team's fourth game. I don't know what it would be. I'm sure there are smarter people out there that could figure out a better system, but I think there's got to be some type of uh, just some type of guardrails. Cause right now it is truly like the absolute wild West. You can do anything. You can manipulate your roster to, to make it work. So you can take more guys. You can, um, kids can enter, you know, after the second practice in spring, like it doesn't really matter. And, and, you know, what you don't want to do is limit someone's availability or, you know, opportunity to go find a better opportunity for themselves. But it's just, it's just kind of bananas right now. So I have to think that there's a way to put like loose guardrails on it that won't have it be such crazy time all the time. And honestly, it's for the kids in a lot of ways, like guys on these teams, like, you know, what if, what if, for example, like what if MSU hadn't brought in Windman until March? Mm-hmm. What is my, like, you, you know, he's kind of getting screwed by that. And so right. I, I almost think it would be make it so that you, have to commit as a transfer by X date so that that next wave of entrants that see, oh, okay, he was brought in to take my job can decide either, hey, I want to I want to compete and try to win that job here, or I want to go look for a different opportunity for myself. I, I can just kind of think there needs to be for fairness to them sure. uh, in a lot of ways, uh, some type of guardrail. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if there's any goodness or good news that comes out of the guys that we've seen leave Michigan State it sounds like they've been told with as much time as possible to Mm -hmm. uh, make the decision for themselves what they'd like to do and I guess you know especially when you commit to a different coach um, like the majority the guys who have left Michigan State have been I think that's the only fair thing you can do is just yeah I, I fully agree with that like if you're in a lincoln riley situation where he decides to leave at a random time those rules should not apply to you any longer i could not agree with that more kids should not be um bound by a coach's decision but i just think in general you know as long as you're willing to put those expectations in there excuse me exceptions in there there's no real reason why they shouldn't have something to to right. you know guide it along absolutely <clears throat> so more to come in the portal, I think, for Michigan State, right? Uh, far from over this offseason. It never ends. So keep an eye out for for maybe some ads in the near future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyways, we uh, – wow, John, really tipping your hand there. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, we want to talk again about the buy year. We mentioned this concept last time, and the reason why I think it's important to come back to it is – um, talking about Matt Carrick, who I don't know if we, I don't believe we covered last on, on the last pod, but no. offensive line, reserve offensive lineman in the playing group the last couple of years has declared he's going to be coming back for a, I believe, sixth year of eligibility, um, fully expected to be in the playing group again, if not 
uh, a starter at one of the guard positions. Um, so this kind of harkened back to that idea we introduced last week, which was this is a, another huge addition. This is a by-year play for guys like Geno Vandemark, Ethan Boyd, other um, young offensive linemen who who are in the pipeline that might be getting uh, you know, might be rushed into due to Kevin Wigginton, another big name in that group, uh, should Matt Carrick, you know, have gone. So I, I did, I do think because we've been talking about the portal, been talking about six year guys returning, you know, there's this interesting question. I know John was asked about, um, about the buy year and do, does this theory sort of apply to both grad transfers and portal transfers and John, I, or excuse me, uh, graduating returners and portal transfers. John, do you want to walk through kind of the, what you, what you ex- explained to me before we jumped on regarding like Maha's situation versus Carrick's situation? Yeah, I, they're similar, but very different, right? You know, I think the, the difference with Carrick sticking around is you're not asking, um, maybe people who aren't, and maybe they are ready, but you, who, who aren't forced into duty um, right away and puts people in a position where um, they're just maybe not physically where they need to be either. That's another point. Um, whereas the portal, I don't know. I, I feel like th- they're a little, they're, they're actually very similar. Um, do you feel like they're different? You there? Yeah, I'm here. I got muted for some reason. Um, technology. Uh, I I think there's a little bit of nuance between the two when you talk about by year versus versus not. And I think it really comes back to that concept I was talking about uh, before with the buying Apple versus buying like an up and comer stock. So with a six year guy returning, you know, I think that that is a true like almost found money. Like that's sort of the way to to think about it. It's like you not only got an extra year for these guys uh, to to sit on the bench and get a little bit more groomed, but you're doing it with what's a known quantity. It's found money. It's something that um, you trust, you know, it's, it's there, it's tangible. So you feel great about that. I think the, the transfer portal is more of a, can be more addition and subtraction. You know, when, when guys return for their sixth year, if they're not better, like if he's not better than Gino Vandemark, then Gino Vandemark's going to play over Matt Carrick. Right. End of story. But when a transfer is brought in, I think that rule still applies. You know, Russo and Peyton Thorne being a perfect example of that. But I think for the most part, the reason why these teams are looking in the portal for certain positions is because they are not confident enough in the bottom part of the roster and the, the players at that position um, on the team currently. So it's probably looked at more of as as a we're bringing a guy in here so we're probably going to lose a guy at this position somewhere Mm -hmm. uh down on the depth chart so it's a little bit different i don't necessarily know that it's a buy it's more of a hey we're trading in something more speculative for something a little bit more well known um chris bogle uh jacoby winman aaron brule amir speed like these four guys are they were not brought in to not play i mean these are specific examples from this year i think you've seen the strategy change a little bit more honestly from last year to this year in the portal these guys that were brought in jalen Berger, same deal these guys were brought in to play next year you know and if that means uh you know guys down in the bottom part of the depth chart don't play because of that i think that's obviously something that the staff is willing to have be an outcome because otherwise they wouldn't have been looking to add these guys. Um, last year, I think they were able to be a little bit more speculative. You know, if you look at guys like even Marquis, Marquis Lowry, Antoine Booth, um, or excuse me, Kari Crump, not Antoine Booth. Uh, these guys were brought in, but you know, Lowry played a decent amount, but really only after Chuck Brantley got hurt, Kari Crump didn't play at all. Um, the staff, because of the amount of spots and the amount of turnover was able to be a little bit more, um, you know, take on guys that maybe were a little bit more projects. I think given where the roster is and the level of talent that's stepped up from last year to this year, you're not going to see that uh, as much going forward. Right. No, I, that, that's that's good explanation of the nuance. Yeah, it's a little different, but um, cut from the same cloth. But yeah, there is a distinguished difference. Um, man, we can't get enough of this roster talk lately. We'll look at it. Absolutely. Us. You, we we love the transitions. We love we lo- we love roster turnover. It feels like a whole nother season, to be honest. The off season like feels like as much of a season as the actual season. 
Absolutely. Yeah. You seem like a guy who loves playing create a dynasty and likes every part of the game except for the actual games. Absolutely true. That's spot on. I loved recruiting an NCAA 14. I, oh my God. Yeah. And then the games, I was like, oh, I actually remember this happening where I would be so excited about the off season that I was like, I would sim bowl games sometimes <laughs> if I wasn't in the national championship game. So like, all right, this isn't going to get me anywhere. I want to give these new guys and actually start and change positions and build a roster and stuff. Yeah. So this is cracked for me. If you could have uh, not accepted the bowl invite, you would have. You're like, we got to oh. get the off season folks. Yeah. It's like, we'll take the practices, but do we have to play the game? <laughs> you know, what's really funny is, do you remember the game NFL head coach? Yes. Yeah, I bought that. No. And I think, oh, I absolutely did when no. I was, but the the thing is, I think I played it once and was like, this is the worst video game of all time. <laughs> like the, the fact that there wasn't even like a play option, like no. you couldn't play, like you, you literally could only do the roster stuff. Like there should have at least been a, like if they would have just, that should have been a mode on another game, not right. a game on its own. Exactly. It just should have been a part of Madden. It's. <laughs> 100 percent and they're like nope this is its own thing what can you do basically nothing it's a it's a help a wonderfully helpless feeling isn't it do you want somebody else's full-time job free (laughs) here's this are you motivated by are you motivated by video game money that you'll (laughs) never be able to use oh baby do we have a game for you oh my god what i'm shocked that game wasn't renewed I can't believe it. I think it was Tony Dungy on the front, too. So talk about the most obscure person to ever appear on the front of a sports game. Aside from maybe Peyton Hillis, I think Tony Dungy's <laughs> got to take the king. Oh, poor Peyton. Yeah. Man, so should we take a commercial and talk hoops? Yes, I think it's time. All right, ready? Three, two, one. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. And we're back. You know who else is back? The guy with the leaf blower directly outside of my window. I'm sure you can all hear that. It's awesome. He's having a great time. Um, I'm not as much, but whatever. So basketball, John, last week was fun. It was. Totally redeemed themselves. Totally, totally redeemed themselves. My goodness. You know what it was? I think I said to you and Sheehan, like we were talking about, do we even watch the game? Like, is it <laughs> like, is what's the point? And I was like, you know what? It reminds me of golf where you're pretty sure like you, you enjoy it to an extent. You aren't very, you're confident with what's going to happen, but you go and do it because you've had like that one great shot or maybe yep. like, and you're like, man, that felt so good that I want to go and see if that happens a lot of times today. And then this game was that game, like where you just go to the golf course and you're feeling like I'm no good. It's not going to go very well. And you just play lights out and you probably shouldn't expect it all the time, but you'll take it. It felt unexpected, especially after the Northwestern debacle. Um, yep. But dude, MSU goes into Cole center wins 86 to 74 in Austin. Um, I was fortunate enough to be um, asked to join the, our friends at the Can't Read, Read, Can't Write podcast. And mm-hmm. they asked a question that I had, I just had to go find the answer to. Said, when's the last time someone scored 86 points in the Colts Center? And to go back to 2002 was the wow. last time a team scored 86 points in the Colts Center. Then almost 20 years. It been to, uh, almost exactly 20 years. Um, that's insane. Like, yeah. I think we appreciate how well Michigan State played this game. And yeah, this this was the tensest 
double digit road win against a top 10 team you'll ever see. Like I was at no point comfortable despite being up almost 20. Like I was watching that game until the final dribble because I almost could not believe what I was seeing. But I, I mean, I don't want to speak like, with too much hyperbole here, but I don't, I don't remember a better answer from a Michigan state team. I'm sure we could go find it, but considering where they were the game before to what they just went and did, I mean, this would, this should have been, this should have been an execution. They should have walked in and lost. They should have, this should have been, honestly, had Michigan state only lost this game by 12 points, the way that they won it, I probably would have found a way to be like, okay, mid season rut will be fine. But instead, you know, they won by 12 and honestly, despite my anxiety level being through the roof for the, you know, the entire time, aside from that one little run in the second half when Wisconsin cut it to six, mm-hmm. it wasn't particularly, it wasn't particularly close no. and they didn't, it's, and it's not like it was Gabe Brown making a million threes. It Gabe Brown had three points in this game. Yeah. Complete no, complete no show. Bingham, I thought, had a really nice bounce back in the middle, but wasn't like the dominating force we've seen all year and didn't play a ton in the second half. Um, but it just felt like a – this felt like what we were seeing from Michigan State in the UConn stretch of the season where it was guys down on the roster making plays. You got a big second-half performance from, from Tyson Walker after a not-good first half. Jaden Akins had some huge plays. Hogard played pretty smart. Marble, Christie, I thought played well. Like it was a complete team win. And I think Gabe Brown aside, you saw what's probably the best version of what this Michigan State team can be. Yeah, and there's still room to grow, which is the right. exciting thing. I, I was very concerned about Max Christie hitting a freshman wall after the Northwestern game, his worst game of his career at Michigan state. And he turns around and goes five for seven for 12 points, extremely efficient night, 34 minutes, another 34 minute night. He leads the team in minutes. And most importantly, defended um, all American candidate, Johnny Davis, who had allegedly 25 points, but I'm thinking the Cole center just like kept giving him, the buckets because no one was really paying attention just <laughs> keep his like points per game up because i'm almost sure those those are the quietest 24 five points ever happened meanwhile brad davidson's like 22 was the loudest uh, yeah you know they, they were they were making some very difficult shots this game could have been a lot worse for them a lot i think brad davidson's kept a minute to be honest with you i mean he made he made six threes some of them from deep he yeah. made a, at least three or four shots where I just threw my hands up in the air and I'm like, are you kidding? Like yeah. he, he was just pouring them in at the end. I mean, again, the only reason this game was a 12 point deficit is because I think he made two or three threes within the last couple of minutes. Johnny Davis started to turn it on late. Um, I see the hype with him, even though he did yeah. not have a, he did not have a good day. He kind of came to life there towards the end. That dude is going to be a legitimate NBA player. I don't know if he's a superstar, but he is, an NBA guy for a long time. He is super athletic. He's got a beautiful looking jump shot. He can really defend. Like, I think he's going to be uh, a really nice, nice player in the NBA. But I mean, it was those two and nobody else. And yes, they didn't have, was it Connor Wall? They didn't have Tyler Wall. They didn't have who had been averaging like 15 points a game. That's, that's certainly something to take note of, but you lost at home by 12. You were getting, we, you went into the half down 16. I mean, this, he is not the reason that you didn't win this game. They just didn't, nobody else picked up the slack at all. Chucky Hepburn uh, yeah. didn't do a whole lot. Crowell didn't do, he had nine points. He was the closest thing probably to, to stepping up that, that anybody else gave them. But yeah, not to, uh, this game was not a testament to Wisconsin's depth. I think what Wisconsin is, which is totally fine, we will get you a long ways in a lot of leagues and probably, you know, maybe even to the second weekend of the tournament. This is Johnny Davis and, and, and nothing. There's no, he is, he is, but he is good enough to carry them towards the top of the league. I don't think they're a top 10 team, uh, but they, to the top of the league. And I think he could get them to the second weekend. But I also, if I'm giving my take, my, my honest opinion of Wisconsin, I feel like I've seen teams like this a million times before. 
And this is the team that runs into somebody in the round of 32 that uh, plays a style that does not benefit or the the Badgers and like, you know, they get Wisconsin to play a little bit out of their zone. Johnny Davis has a night like this night where he still scores 25, but he shoots less than 50% of the, from the field and is just not really in the game all that much. And they lose to like a, you know, crowd, a, like a 10 seed or something like that. That's what I feel like I'm getting from this, this Wisconsin team. Yeah. They're tra- traditionally Wisconsin is an elite or very high defensive performing team. This team is not that. No. And, and, you know, they usually they're top 20 every year in defensive efficiency. This team is not even top 50. So like you said, um, <laughs> they, they also, you know, they had the most quad one wins, like no doubt, but, I think uh, this is going to sound so um, biased. They, when you're nine and one in games that are decided by six points or less, there's some luck involved. And oh yeah, that's okay. I mean, every team gets the short end of the stick. Sometimes you get the the opposite. They were the beneficiaries of it. I just don't know if their record was exactly. They're not a top ten team, like you said. Doesn't mean it's not a great win for Michigan State, and I'm not just like trying to dog on these guys because once they do have Tyler Wall back, like they'll be a nice team. They, you know, they're they're fine. But I think the bigger takeaway is like like we always say, like everyone is so mid, dude. Like every oh yeah, everybody's no, not everybody's bad. It's just the middle class of college basketball this year is so wide. To be honest with you, I'm not really sure who's in the up. I, I don't know who I would say is good. Mm. Like at this point, I mean, gosh, if we look at the top 25 that came out today, I mean, Michigan State back up to the, you know, the top 10, which is great. Wisconsin drops down to 11. But your top five are Auburn is number one, Gonzaga, Arizona, Baylor, and Kansas. So two teams Michigan State's lost to. And then Purdue's number six. I'm sorry. I shouldn't get mad about rankings, but Purdue is not the number six team in the country. They're four and three in conference right. play. They're hey. four and three in conference play. That is that's a sad state of affairs. If people, I can't believe they're getting the voters' benefit of the doubt. Purdue, it's crazy. That again, none none of it matters. It's all kind nope. of. And to your point about like the top five teams, yeah, those are probably the top five teams in the country, and none of them particularly are great by great standards so it makes the tournament going to be so wide open before we jump to previewing uh, the illinois game huge one uh, i wanted to just throw out some funny statistics from those the wisconsin game wisconsin hit 12 threes and lost by double digits i don't know that is difficult like that is a hard thing to do to hit 12 threes and lose by double digits yeah they were out rebounded 39 to 20 like that's pretty incredible. And Joey Hauser led the team in rebounding again. And quietly, um, and I and I mentioned this on the last, uh, around the Can't Read, Can't Write podcast, you know, Joey Hauser gets a lot of crap. And and I think it may be because he's not scoring at a level that people want. Joey Hauser has six fewer rebounds than Marcus Bingham does on the year. That's amazing. So, you know, he is finding ways to contribute um, despite – his size, you know, it, he's been put in some unfortunate positions, but that's that's a big deal. You know, he's find, finding a way to contribute. Malik Hall, this isn't a stat, but he certainly yeah. found a go-to move, which MSU oh didn't my God. We didn't have that, you know? Well, he's a scorer from that, and you're talking about his little baseline uh-huh. jumper, back-to-the-basket baseline jumper, which he made at least a few of in this game. I mean, he, he had 14 points, eight rebounds. It, he really is kind of the X factor for this team, I think. I mean, the games where he comes out and really performs well are games that MSU's offense just looks different. It, it operates smoother. He's kind of the only guy that has the I can get my own bucket gene on oh. this team, aside from, you know, Tyson Walker a little bit, but he, he kind of, you can throw it into the block to him when he's got a guy that's close to his size and he's got a go-to move. I mean, that's, that's not a small development for, for this team. And he deserves a ton of credit. I mean, he had, he had a, a phenomenal game in this one. Yeah. I mean, remember last year, 
we had one thing and it was Aaron Henry and the short <laughs> block. That was it. That was the play. And, you know, now if we've been talking forever about like, who's the guy, who's the thing, who's when crunch time comes, well, it's only one game, but maybe this is the go-to thing, right? Like, yeah. And it's I, not- I, I, a road win against Wisconsin, when you don't get a great, when you get nothing from your leading scorer, and you don't get a great game out of your starting point guard, and you get a good, not great game out of your, uh, arguably your most important player in Mark Spingham, and you still win by double digits on the road. When they make all of those threes, I mean, it's a huge credit to this team. And I think what it says, you know, holistically more than anything is this is a really freaking tough group of dudes. Like they, I can only imagine what the last week of practice has been like after losing at home to a bad Northwestern team. Like I can only imagine the hell that they just went through. But Northwestern, by the way, has lost two straight games since beating Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Um, for these guys to feel like they got backed into a corner and to fight like this and come out and play such an amazing game Again, on the road against a top 10 team in an environment that is really a difficult one to play in, not a place that a lot of opposing teams win, especially win resoundingly. Um, I just think it says a lot about the maturity of the team. And I think it it sort of is uh, is what I was hoping they would grow into. You know, this is the realization I was hoping to have at some point during the later part of the season to get it the game after. Again, I think even kind of cements at home even more. To And honestly, it, it's huge from a conference uh, championship race perspective too. Michigan State now sits alone as the number one team in the, in the conference at six and one. Uh, Wisconsin and Illinois sitting behind them by a half a game. Illinois obviously with a chance you know, Michigan State with a chance to put a little more distance between themselves and the Illini this week when they play. But, you know, for for many different reasons, that's a huge that's a huge, huge win. Um, and, and you know, they don't necessarily balance themselves out. But if you were to say, hey, you're going to split the pair of Northwestern and then going on the road to Wisconsin. I don't think anybody would have been mad, if you know, if you would have told them that. uh they beat Wisconsin and lose to what or beat Northwestern and lose to Wisconsin. But in fact, it goes the other way around. You know, I, I almost think it worked out a little bit better for Michigan state. I think you're right. And it also um, let this team give them an opportunity to have to like gut it out twice. I, you know, you mentioned they cut it to six. If you remember, MSU was down eight, nothing to start the game. Yeah, <laughs> it was bad. It was very bad. And um, so, and they gutted it out. You know, no timeout, just play through it. They played through it to the media timeout, adjusted, cut it to eight to six, and then they were off to the races. And so, um, yeah, showed twice that they can take a punch. And, you know, they're going to definitely take a punch in Champaign uh, tonight, if you're listening when we release this. Uh, we won't spend too much time on this because I don't think enough people have a chance to to really listen uh, that might be listening after the game has happened. Um, but the, the biggest notes is Illinois, uh, while the most efficient team in the conference on offense and defense, um, this is a team in desperate need of a win. They lost at home to Purdue in a great game in double overtime and then recently followed it up by a very surprising 16-point loss at Maryland. Uh, they just returned Andre Carvello for both of those games. He's still getting his feet underneath him and Kofi Coburn uh, was out with a concussion on Friday night um, on a TBD if he'll play against Michigan State. The only thing I'll bring up about this game, just to get some jokes off, it became, I had forgotten until very recently. Uh, it was brought to my attention on actually a fr- the Friday night spaces on Twitter, which was an adventure. Um, I, I Please feel free to join and uh, to hop on and tell me to log off because usually that <laughs> too many beverages. But uh, in this scenario, I had forgotten that Illinois had beef with Michigan State. And I, this is where we're at as a program. Yeah. The biggest win, maybe the biggest win of MSU season last year was at Illinois. I don't remember it. They stewed on it all year long because <laughs> Maddie Sissoko, I think he, allegedly punched so i don't even remember like that he broke he broke coburn's nose that's why he was wearing a mask the rest of the year right all right sure i guess that's what's happened again i'm not trying to be like too cool i just literally don't remember and because it was just another game and a 
trudging hellhole of the season. <laughs> and oh my god. They've just but the thing is is they've been sitting on that for 365 days. They like every day. Yep. They hate Michigan State and talking shit and it's like I'm like, "Oh, okay. I didn't I I don't they're like we is that meme where like I don't ever think about you. <laughs> That's where <laughs> the Don the Don the Don Draper where yeah. say, I pity you. He says I don't think about you at all. Yeah. yeah. That's the situation. Uh, uh, I would agree with you. I mean it, I think I, tweet, I tweeted this this weekend, and I was like, if I was a fan of any program in the Big Ten aside from Michigan State, I would, I would hate Michigan State basketball. I would, I would absolutely hate. Oh God, I can't even explain it. It has all of the mixings of things that I hate about a program more than anything else. The fact that they're that, that MSU is so consistently finds ways to succeed despite having teams that, when you look at on paper, you're like, this team shouldn't be this good. The fact that they were able to do what they did last year was that would have been the icing on the cake. Like if I was an Illini fan, I would be so, so upset with having lost. I, I get it. Like I get why they're so mad because they're so that was supposed to be their season. And instead MSU comes in, beats them, which doesn't didn't ultimately end up really affecting them. I and mean, they're still one seed, but like you know what I mean? Like that just ugh, that would just sit so poorly with me. And then to do that against uh Coburn would just bug me so much I mean so uh yeah I I totally get it I mean I think I feel that way towards Wisconsin I think people probably actually feel that way towards Wisconsin more than Michigan State because all of the things I just said are even more exaggerated when you talk about them but um I get why the line I would 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 hate Michigan State and and to to bring it back to this game uh that's going to be a big piece of motivation for them. I mean, they they hate Michigan State right now. They badly need a win after losing to Maryland, um, and they want to win this conference. I mean, they've dropped all the way down to 24th in the rank, rankings, which doesn't matter. Again, does not matter. But um, I know they think they're better than that, uh, and I think I think they are as well. I think they could very well win the conference still, um, but that has to start with beating Michigan State. When you talk about the actual matchups in this game, it is. In my opinion, this is a this is Coburn. This is a Kofi Coburn. If if Kofi Coburn is healthy, Illinois. I mean, that's how they can win this game. I mean, he is truly like the spoke on the wheel that everything goes through for this team. It's four out, one in. They've got guys that Plummer, Frazier, Curbelo, uh, Grandison can all shoot the shoot the shit out of the ball, and so they're able to play like true, like. And, and then Kofi Coburn is going to be able to get it. He's leading the conference, I think, in rebound. I mean, he's a he's a beast on the inside. And, you know, they have – I've said this since they hired uh, Underwood, but they have an identity. They have a game plan. They have upperclassmen now. So they are going to play their style of basketball. And when, when Coburn's not in there, that style cannot exist the same way. So if he's not playing, quite frankly, this is a game Michigan State should roll in. I don't think Illinois is all. I mean, they just lost by 16 on the road against a, a very average Maryland team. Mm -hmm. um, and but I mean, it's at home for them, which is a step up. But if you're missing your your spoke on that wheel, things things really fall apart. Um, for Michigan State in this one, I mean, again, I think everything centers around Coburn and then running guys off the three point line. Um, I expect Maddie Sissoko to play in this game and get booed thoroughly, which will be very enjoyable. Uh, Bingham's going to have to, you know, this is a game where Bingham's probably only going to be able to give 20 minutes, which I think is going to be fine. Um, because you're just going to need to run bodies at, at Coburn and try to put them on the line or make yeah. them get fouls. So it's that, and then running these three point shooters off the line and trying to make them settle for twos. I mean, that's, that's really the game plan. Dude, here, here's something that I'm sure won't happen, but sounds like it would be cool if it did. This could be the game where like Julius Marble could can pull Kofi away from the block. Mm -hmm. I think that opens a lot of things up. And while he's going to get dominated on the defensive side, I think you just you you can use him when Marble does play to your advantage on offense. And and his ability to stretch the floor because he's very comfortable taking long twos now. He's he's proven mm -hmm. that. Um, you're just pulling Kofi away from the basket. It just it's it's so critical to beating. Um, to beating Illinois, Purdue has has Zach Eady and Trevion Williams. You know, like they, they're not afraid to to sit right. on the block with him. Um, you look at the Illinois' other losses with Coburn, uh, Arizona. They're a very good team. Like Arizona, yes. there's they're good. I don't know how Illinois lost by 20 to Cincinnati. 
like I can't tell you what happened. There. No idea. But but I but I think you know now that they are kind of getting their feet under them, and especially with Curbelo back in the lineup, they they once they click and hit their stride, you know when Kofi is back too, this team might um, hit a new level, which is why it's so important <laughs> for us to figure out a way to steal one, especially if Kofi isn't playing in this game, because uh, I do think they're going to put it together pretty soon. So it yeah. should be a great one. Um, any more thoughts before we jump to Michigan? No, I think the, as, at this point, I would say if it's not going to be Michigan State, Illinois is my my pick to win the conference. I think they're that good, but it all starts with Kofi. So if MSU wants to change that, like you said, this is a game that I don't want to say is a must win because it's January, but this is a – you steal this one and you put yourself uh, a game up on the next two teams that are below you in the standings with a win over both of them. So you put yourself in a really nice position, and um, I think we'll see what this team's made of big time. Well, and that's going to carry over till Saturday because regardless of what happens, Michigan will be more than likely riding a three-game win streak into East Lansing, um, and and they maybe are clicking, you know, with back-to-back drubbings of Maryland and then at Indiana, where Indiana was 14 and 0 at home. Um, maybe a bit of a letdown after their big upset over Purdue, but regardless, uh, a win at 18 in Assembly Hall is a win at by 18. Mm-hmm. So can't take that away from them. They will play Northwestern before Michigan State at home, so that one should probably be a win. I guess you can't give Michigan the benefit of the doubt in anything this year, um, but but if all uh, favorites hold true, you know, as I mentioned, a three-game win streak into uh, East Lansing for a really really big game, not just uh, for the conference standings, you know, for the rivalry, but also uh, just to give you a little nod, Austin, a bunch of recruits on campus for the football team. Um, so big environment for Saturday and, uh, pretty exciting. I mean, there's not a lot we can tell you about Michigan that you don't already know. They're trying to figure out how to play with their best players on the floor at the same time. That's been a difficulty for them to get them out there. But I think John Howard realizes he just has to do it with Dickinson and Diabate and, um, play them together as much as possible. And, but they've gotten some really nice contributions lately from guys that they had been hoping they would get them from hadn't quite happened yet, but uh, Caleb Houston finally found his range. Terrence Williams um, finally see me starting to click for him. Um, The Frankie Collins thing isn't working out. I think they might move away from that. And uh, yeah, I mean, they're starting to, it's hard to say in two games, maybe three that they're rounding into form. I think they're starting to figure out how they can win together. I don't know how far that can take them, but they're figuring out how at least to win. Yeah, I, I mean, that's as much as you can say right now until they do it against somebody that's not, a, like I said, a bad Maryland team. And then uh, Illinois is the most weak-minded program, or excuse me, Indiana is the most mentally weak program in college basketball. So the fact that they lost at home by 18 after storming the court against beating Purdue is so unsurprising. It is. I want to stay on that for a second here because that is, if you're an Indiana basketball fan and you're listening to this for whatever reason, you should be ashamed of your program. You should be ashamed of your fan base. I know there are people out there that are going to say that I'm like the old man cloud, you know, why are they storming the court? It's not about not wanting people to have a good time like they should have a good time, but you can't do that and storm the court after that win and then also demand to be taken seriously as a basketball program. Like you, you can't you cannot have both. It's either we are here and we expected to win this game, so we're not storming shit or we're we're not serious and we're pumped that we beat a top five team from our same state that we claim to be superior, like vastly superior to like, which one is it? You got to pick one or the other if you're IU. So um, the fact that they turned around and lost by almost 20 at home is so unsurprising. So I give Michigan credit for going and doing that. They deserve it. But, you know, Indiana just couldn't be, uh, could not have been more ripe for, for that game at that time. But to Michigan's credit, the entire, I think what's becoming obvious is the entire key for them is Caleb Houston. If you look at his numbers from the last two games, this is why things are working. He's eight of 11 from three. He's put up uh, 35 points in the last two games, shooting 13 of 19 from the field. He's their, their second best offensive option behind uh, Hunter Dickinson. 
he's the one that's going to free up space for Diabate to be able to do stuff on the inside alongside Dickinson. He's the one who could lead a second unit offensively. His shooting is what's going to be able to prop up what's a really underwhelming backcourt. Um, so, you know, they beat Indiana despite getting two points from Eli Brooks on four shots. Uh, their transfer, I believe, what's his name? Dante, Devante Jones had only seven points and has been super underwhelming on the season. So they did get Brandon Johns back, didn't do a lot in his 10 minutes, um, but they don't get anything from their backcourt. So Houston's shooting is absolutely mission critical for this team. And I think um, the good news for MSU is that he's probably going to get checked by Gabe Brown. Um, That is a really good, it's as good a wing defender as you're going to find in the conference. So uh, that that presents a really interesting issue for Michigan because if they want to win this game, I mean, they need elite performances out of their entire front court. And MSU has enough bodies uh, and a vastly, vastly superior backcourt to Michigan's. So they should be able to, to cause a lot of issues. So um, yeah, like you said, it's, you know, it's hard to say Michigan's rounding into form when your wins, you know, when you ducked Purdue and Michigan state one time and then went, and, you know, beat two super underwhelming teams. I mean, credit to them for winning the games, for sure. They deserve that. But um, you got to do it against the big boys before I take you seriously. Because I look up and down this record of theirs, this 9-8 and eight record that they have, I believe it is now. 9-7, um, and seven, excuse me. And I don't see, if I'm a committee member, I don't see much worth writing home about on here, man. Like, uh, not... A loss to Arizona, okay. Yeah, Arizona turned out to be good. Guess what? You lost by 18. A loss to North Carolina. North Carolina's not good, and you lost by 21. You lost by 10 to Minnesota. You lost by 14 to UCF. You lost by 8 to Rutgers. I mean, 15 to Illinois. There's, there's, They have – basically, my point is that they have a ton, a ton of work to do to get on the right side of the bubble. And so that – in and of itself should make Michigan State nervous, but I don't think they're lacking for motivation going into this game. So I would fully expect MSU to bring every single bullet that they've got in their arsenal uh, and and throw it at U of M because I know they don't want to lose this game. And uh, yeah, I think Michigan's going to, it's crazy to say, but Michigan's going to want to win really bad, but Michigan State is as well. So I think it's, uh, it's an opportunity to make another statement. Yeah, both teams Want, need it or want it in different ways. <clears throat> I think you've already nailed it. Houston is the X factor. You know, in their losses to Seton Hall, he had four points. Against Arizona, he had six. North Carolina, he had eight. Minnesota, he had eight. UCF, one. Rutgers, 12. Illinois, five. He didn't, yeah. He's not there. Any other wins? You know, I'm looking at 11, 14, 17, 16, 16, 19. That's it. Like, he's the guy. So you shot him down. Michigan has had a hard time winning games. So uh, Gabe Brown's going to get a shot. Max Christie will get a shot probably if he wants it. And um, see how see how it happens, you know. It should be a good one. Yeah, it should be a week for two uh... – Two good games. I mean, you, I think I think you coming out of this week, you kind of are going to know whether MSU should be taken seriously as a Big Ten title contender or not. I think the win against Wisconsin kind of reaffirmed my faith. I think before that, we were all sort of wavering, thinking, yeah, this other shoe's going to drop. Then you go beat a top 10 team on the road by double digits uh, kind of with authority um, without, like we've said it so many times, without great, not, not like your best player carried you, but it was a true team win um, that can change the trajectory of a season. So this, this week has a chance to either cement that or kind of push it to the side, but I'm personally hoping for the former. I think if you see a split, we're just going to kick the ball down the road. You know, like the punt. <laughs> we'll it's the punt. But punting is winning, so are we really going to be that upset? It's true. Yeah. Lot, long way to go. Like I, I was telling us before the podcast, like, you know, this game's fun and awesome as a fan. Like this is, these are why you're a fan because these types of big games. Yep. Um, it's also January. There's also a long way to go in the conference. And, you know, <clears throat> you certainly can't win the conference with these two games. You lose them both. You make it a lot harder on yourself. But again, there's still, man, what? <laughs> We're not even halfway through the conference season with these games being played. So long ways. It's, it's a long ways to go, but uh, 
this is when the rubber starts to meet the road. So mm-hmm. things get exciting. All right, John, I think that's all I got for this week. I'm ready to, I'm ready to pace around Tuesday night, maybe end up laying down in my basement like usual. And then yep. Saturday, maybe have too many beverages and uh, see you on Twitter spaces. Yeah. Can't wait. It's going to be an awesome stress-free experience. Cannot wait. <laughs> All right. Guys, as always, thanks for sticking with us. For John, this is Austin. We'll catch you next week. Yep.